Welcome, Gasheads, to this Gascast Scout Report episode for the game against Northampton Town at an empty Memorial Stadium on Saturday. I'm your host, Tom Metcalf, and I'm chuffed to be joined from Charles from the It's All a Load of Cobblers to Me podcast. Welcome, Charles. Hi, Tom. You okay, mate? Yep, good. Yeah, glad I got that intro out of the way. Uh, and we'll just go straight in from there. Um, Rovers go into the game on a poor run of form. Uh, an, open day, an opening day draw against Sunderland at the Stadium of Light has been followed up with two successive losses to Ipswich and Donny. The loss against Donny being especially painful as it was a 4-1 drubbing with a litany of defensive mistakes. Northampton, on the other hand, have fared a bit better. An opening day draw with Wimbledon has been followed up with a win against Shrewsbury and then a loss against Hull. Uh, Charles, firstly, how is life back in League One been treating you? Oh, it's lovely. Or kind of. It's weird because we can't go. It's so ridiculously strange. I mean, it's great. Back in League One after two-year absence, that's good. But uh, it's just, yeah... There's something not right about it, isn't there? The fact that we just can't go, and you know, don't you know? I won't get all political about it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's something that we've been looking forward to since the moment we won at Wembley, and we were thinking that we'd actually be able to get back into the ground, not for this game, but for our next game, which is next week at home to Peterborough, which is our local derby, and yeah, we were all kind of going we'll be back in for Borough. That'll be fine. It'll be great. It'll be the best first game of the season that you can go to. Um, And obviously that's been dashed recently. So, yeah, strange-wise. Strange, really strange times. Yeah, how how have the opening games been? I I saw that the Wimbledon game especially was a a four-goal thriller. Uh, It's been entertaining at least. Yeah, it it has. Um, That first game against... Wimbledon it was good I mean it started ridiculously badly I'm pretty sure it's still the quickest goal that's been scored this season by anybody um Wimbledon just oh do you know what I'm still angry about it we've got a brand new defense compared to what um we had last season and what everybody would have seen playing the playoffs Um, they've all either been sold on for millions of quid or gone back on loan or released as Jordan Turnbull was and is now playing at Salford. Um, Strangely, I don't quite work that out, but hey-ho. And our New Look defence just seems to be taking a little bit longer than we would like to bed in. And it was the sloppiest of of opening goals you'll ever see. It was... It was nasty. Just just go and have a look at the highlights. If you go to, I think, the, the Cobblers official YouTube, it'll be on there. But, I mean, you guys will be fine. But Cobblers fans will be watching it with their hands over their eyes. <laughs> I don't know. If you if you watch, uh, I can highly recommend, uh, if you want to see some comical defending, our, the highlights uh, of our game against Donny. Uh, just absolutely, absolutely shocking. Um, Keith Cole, your manager, obviously, Rovers connection there. Um, what what kind of style of play is he deploying for your games? And is it any different from last season when you came up? Uh, I'll just move away from my mic a moment. Hoof! Um, essentially, it is direct route one football, which is absolutely fine. I've got no issue with it. We, If, if you watch just play during the playoffs at all, then that is us peak Keith Curl, okay? Um, and when it works. 
in the first leg against Cheltenham, when we got beat 2-0 at home, it didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work was, well, essentially it was just aimless. Whereas we, we basically play territory. Bristol, you've got a rugby team as well as Northampton do. You'll know all about rugby union kicking for territory and all this, that and the other. It is basically that in football form. Um, the idea is that you get it up the pitch into particular areas where the strikers will be waiting, hopefully. Um, and then we basically have to earn the right to play football. So we will only play football in essentially the top third of the pitch. You won't see us playing it out from the back. You you will barely see us playing anything in midfield. There won't be any of this sort of like Pep Guardiola-inspired tick-a-tacker pass it around in the midfield. No, it will be hit it long, get it into the areas where the strikers can either chase it or if Harry Smith's playing as a target man, hold the ball up. Um, that is essentially our style. But once we get into that final third we are a danger. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, people, who, and, and this is Cobblers fans as well, it goes for, they will, they'll moan about it. When it goes wrong, it looks terrible and it, and it does feel dreadful. But when it's right, like you saw in the, well, in the playoff final against Exeter, where we literally obliterated them and they had no idea what was going to come next. Um, neither did we, by the way, we weren't expecting that either. But, it was it was one of those where you just go, that is great football and, and it's entertaining. But when it goes wrong, it feels dreadful and it's you can't turn around and go, well, I'm glad I paid my 20-odd quid to watch that or £10 for iFollow. You know, it, you just sort of go, Ugh, okay. And then people start wanting to change of tactics and all this. And the other. You just have to accept, I think, that sometimes um, it doesn't work and the other team will nullify you. And there isn't necessarily a plan B for it either. So it's one of those. I, I think against Hull on Saturday, it wasn't that it didn't work. Actually, for the first 20 to 30 minutes, we were the far the better team. Um, Hull then scored from essentially a quality free kick that was crossed into the box. And uh, I can't think, who the whole player was that basically just met it with his head, zonal marking, question marks over it. We do deploy that. Um, but it was a quality goal from a from a team full of players that should be playing at a higher level. And then the second goal, which really killed us, I mean, I, it was the referee missed the blatant foul on Harry Smith. Two seconds later, gives a non-existent foul and the whole fans and, and even the whole staff agreed with this. Um, there was no foul on their player. They literally just... Whistle blew and they played a quick free kick straight through the middle and then Netflix boy, George Honeyman, just slipped it underneath our goalkeeper and in for 2-0. And then the rest of the game was was just a bit boring. Um, but it wasn't because we were bad that we lost. I, don't get me wrong, I don't think we would have won the game had we kept playing for three days. We didn't really have any proper attempts at goal the whole way through the game. However, if we'd have scored when we were on top in those first sort of 20, 30 minutes, then, then who knows? Hull might have got rattled by that a bit more. Um, so you've kind of, that, that's a different type of like, way that we've kind of come back 
from a game afterwards and, and sort of looked at it to any others. Normally, we will go, we've either watched a brilliant game of football where we've won and it's looked great, or we've done exactly the same thing and it hasn't worked. And we go, God, that was terrible. Saturday was, was different for the first time ever, where we weren't either, really, but we still got beat. So, Yeah, these things happen. And I mean, yeah, Hull, are, they're going to be up there. So there's no real... Um shame in losing to them um you've mentioned a few of a few players so far but who who are your kind of standout performers that rovers players uh, rovers fans should keep an eye out for on saturday uh you see this is really difficult because we are essentially a new team there's still a fair few players in there from last season uh sam hoskins for one this will be his seventh season now at six fields or the pts academy stadium as we should call it um and he is a stalwart and has been since he was signed by Chris Wilder, I think, way back. Um, every manager that we've had since, and there's been at least 400 of them, um, has played him. So he's one to definitely look out for. He'll either play in the attacking midfield role just behind the strikers, or he'll play at either right or left wing back. Usually our wing backs swap sides anyway throughout the game. Um, but he's got pace. And he does score goals, as infuriating as he can be, because actually he should be better than he is. But then again, if he was, he'd be playing for a better club than we are. So it's one of those. Um, If he's back, Nicky Adams, everybody knows about Nicky Adams in the lower leagues. I don't really need to say anything else. He did come back on as a sub against Hull for the last, I think it was 15 minutes. And you saw an immediate change in our quality at the top end of the pitch. Um, so Nicky's always going to be one to look out for. In terms of sort of players that you might not know about, Ricky Corboa, who we signed this season from non-league. I can't remember where he came. Carl Scholten, I think he's come from. That rings a bell. Um, picked him up on... What I presume is either a free transfer or one of these, or we'll just give some a little something to, to a non-league club. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily a transfer fee. Um, he he scored against Wimbledon. Um, cracking, cracking strike. He's raw, but he's, he's more accomplished than that, I think, because he's quite young. Stepping into a professional football club has obviously not necessarily been the, the huge step up for him that you might think uh, it would be. And he is a, he's a menace, but he has been injured, so he may or may not play. Um, but if he does, he'll basically be one of the three at the top of the pitch, and he will be a threat. And the other, the other player that's really surprised me, in a good way this season, has been Matty Warburton, who we signed in exactly the same situation as how Corbeau has come to us. We picked him up from Stockport. Uh, at the beginning of last season. He banged something like 40 goals in over the calendar year before for Stockport in the uh, Conference North or whatever it's called now. Um, he didn't quite have the season that we wanted last season from him. But I think we when we signed him, he was 27. He was a school teacher. He was a PE teacher. So he went from being a PE teacher at the age of 27 to being a professional footballer. And I think it's taken him a year. And I'm... He's a different player this year. He's brilliant. He's already scored once a great free kick, which again was against Wimbledon. Um, won our gold of the month competition. And yeah, he's he's just looking really good. I'm. You'll notice that all of these players that I'm picking out are all attackers. There is, I, I can't give you a defender to look out for. 
in a positive way <laughs> at this moment in time. Uh, as I said before, they're all fairly new. Well, they all are brand new. The one we're not too sure of um, is Luka Ratchet, I think is how you say his name. He's on loan from Brentford. He did play a few games for Brentford last year in the Championship. He's just not, he's not Charlie Good who went the other way. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think he's suffering a little bit. And if we were in the ground, you could guarantee that the fans would be getting on his back. Yeah, it's a weird one with the with the fans not being in. I think Rovers, especially at home, if a player if if a player does make a mistake, fans can a little bit get on their back. But if as long as they're kind of putting in the effort, it doesn't really matter. Like a lot of fans will get behind them. But yeah, definitely definitely going to be a different um, dynamic without fans, and it has been so far for us. Um, I did want to. Because um, there are tons of Rovers connections, I realised when I was uh, researching this, we got Keith Cole, the manager, Joe Martin, who was on loan with us um, last season, was Andy Williams, uh, who was, I believe, your joint top goal scorer, and then went to Cheltenham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, right. But obviously, the massive big one for all us assets is Chris Lines. Um, mm-hmm. He hasn't really played a lot, and by the sounds of it, he's a bit wasted in. A midfield where you're just going to hoof it but how how have you found him um well when he signed last season beginning of last season i i was really really looking forward to watching him play and you know i don't know how bristol rovers do it but um whenever we sign a player the club always tweet out a scout report which is a youtube video of certain things now on the pod we take the mick out of it a little bit because sometimes you'll get players and it'll be things like forward passes and basically what it is 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 hoofs from the back right um long shots and they're basically like attempts from 40 yards that should never have been attempted but hey ho and they never go in um when we saw his scout report obviously he is the david beckham of of the lower leagues isn't he Uh, 20 years on obviously but you know, it's it's one of those where you just kind of went, his range of passing is, is fabulous, it's brilliant. And when we fir- I first saw him, was our it was our second uh, game last season, which was away at Port Vale, um, where, I, where he really stood out. However, we only drew one all, and we'd lost, I think, 1-0 at home to Walsall on the opening day of the season. And we'd been playing, trying to play football. And essentially, back then, the actual, you could see the game plan was get the ball to Nicky Adams, let Nicky Adams cross it, hopefully score from the cross. And that kept happening over and over and over again. But then when we went for the next game away at Port Vale, we looked like we were actually just, there was a bit more freedom to it, I think, because we were away from home and Chris Line stood out. He was brilliant. But then we had to change our style of play because we weren't winning. We just weren't winning games of football. So Curl changes the style of play and that has left Chris Lines out in the cold a bit. He's been on the bench and named on the bench every single game this season so far, but I don't think he's played in any of the three league games. And I think that kind of shows you because there is nothing wrong with him as a player. As you'll know, he is a fantastic player. It's a simple case of it's the wrong team. And, and it's a shame, really. Um, but, um, and I, I, I say this having never met him, but just looking at him and the way he is uh, and his demeanour and everything like that, he's not a moaner 
and he's not somebody that's going to start sort of getting all grumpy and, and mardy over the fact that he's not playing in public. He may well be banging on Keith's you know, door every single day of the week. I don't know. But in public, he comes across as being like, oh, I love my time here. It's, you know, it's great. I'm loving it. But yeah, it's it's a shame is what I'll say. I think if we were playing um, Chris Wilder football, like we were in the year when we won the league, um, then he'd have fitted right in but just not anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, it's an interesting one about the, um, yeah, in public kind of being quite happy because the way he left Rovers, uh, he had quite a massive falling out publicly with uh, our then manager, Graham Coughlin. So it's, it's a bit chalk and cheese that, but um, yeah, sounds like he's uh, just kind of being a, being a professional, maybe a bit, bit older, a bit wiser. Um, I, you mentioned about six fields earlier and I wanted to ask actually about this is purely for me. Um, hmm. What happened with all the the missing money for the state and all that mental stuff? Because I remember it being in the news and then it just kind of disappeared. How long you got, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Really, really quick summary of what happened. So uh, we were owned by the Cardoza family, um, basically father and son. Uh, Anthony was the father and was director of the club, I think just a director. And then his son, David, was um, the chairman of the club. Um, They are, I think, property developers or were always property developers. There is a lot of space at Sixfields. If you've been, then you'll know that there was an athletics track behind it. Lots and lots of space. It's in a kind of bowl on one side. Um, and essentially, when it when the stadium was first built, it was built by Northampton Borough Council for the football club as a community stadium. And the idea was, and this is where the whole term Lego football stadium comes from, essentially. But the idea was that you would be able to basically place another tier slap bang on the top of each one of them, just like that. Fairly easy, fairly simple. Now, obviously, times move on. And the one thing that we don't have is any kind of corporate facilities apart from a restaurant. Um, So there's no boxes, there's nothing extra to sell or anything like that to make money, you know, in any kind of massive way. So for years we've been saying, right, the stadium does need an upgrade. It does need these things added to it. And for years there was a battle between the football club and the borough council on the basis of, the football club lease the stadium from them as the freeholders. So we're the leaseholders, they're the freeholders. And we were sold a 125-year leasehold or yeah, leasehold on the stadium back, I don't know, let's go to 2003 or something like that, when not long after the Cardozas had taken over the club, um, which should mean that therefore, well, we're going to be here for 125 years. We can maybe do what we want but there then was a bigger battle and eventually there was planning permission granted to start this stand and the way that it worked was that the council lent us or were going to lend us up to something like 12 million quid um to get this stadium uh, this stand this one stand built um which is crazy but i think there were plans to have a hotel and 
other things as well. Some There's of always the, plans you, with stadiums. It's always hotels, isn't it? Yeah, always. And if you if you Google it and you try and find the images of some of the artistic impressions, some of them are god awful. One of them. The idea is at the front of the stadium, so this is at the West End that wasn't going to be changed in any way, but essentially the artist impression looks like a porter cabin has been stuck on the side of it with like then a hotel that would be on the car park that is directly opposite and then a walkway built in the air between the two. It, it just, oh, it looked horrible. Um, so anyway, the council lent us all this money. They lent us it in instalments. So you would every time you basically needed the next stage of it, you'd go to the council, they release the next couple of million or whatever. It started, so the, the, the East Stand was, which is the smaller stand that goes along the side of the pitch, um, was not knocked down, but it was essentially gutted and then reframed so it could have more in there and for boxes and stuff and we got to the point where essentially there was a frame and all of a sudden buckingham's stopped down tools so they were the, the, the developers or whatever they are building company um stopped because they'd not been paid and eventually what happened was that it turned out that all the money that had been drawn down which totaled 10.25 million quid in the end had disappeared so basically a good sort of 80 90% of the, the loan money was gone um, and it hadn't gone in the right places there's loads of stuff that you could go into and, and you can turn around and say well there's these people that got involved there was a third party company set up it's called CDNL County Developed Northamptonshire Limited um, which, which basically took the money from the club and then was supposed to distribute it and give it to the builders and, and whatever. Why you would need a third party? Surely the football club get the money from the council and then go, right, Buckingham's, here's your whatever you need for this month. Why do you need a third party? I don't know. But anyway, that's part of the whole police investigation. So this is all still going on um, five years later. Nobody's been arrested. However, the Cardozas, who left the club in November 2015, basically we went into administration or were that close to it. Um, and we were bought for a pound by our current chairman, Kelvin Thomas, who used to own or be chairman of Oxford um, a few years back. Um, the Cardozas have been in court and have... Now, this was a civil court matter, so it's not like they were found guilty, but they were basically sued by the council and told to pay X amount of money. Um, straight away after which they declared themselves bankrupt, so no money will go, which was always going to happen kind of thing. But the actual criminal investigation is still going on, and there's lots of things that are to do with the, the person who was the MP for Northampton South at the time, um, a guy called David McIntosh. Uh, some guy called Howard Grossman. There is, um, I was going to say rumours, it's not rumours. There's this thing about some sort of Spurs hospitality tickets. I don't quite know how it all fits together. Um, if you want to know low, if you want to know proper detail and really go into it, then check out Matt Preecy on Twitter. He's, I think, the BBC journalist. He's done a lot of work on it and he'll take you through absolutely everything piece by piece. Yeah, lovely. I think we can... Uh, we can probably chat about that one all night but we'll we'll leave it there for now um 
where do you think roundabouts will finish this season? Is it just survival chuff with that? Uh, yeah. Um, I think my personal prediction at the start of the season was around about 17th, I think I put us. Most fans are saying that anything between 20th, I think 20th is the last spot that's safe, isn't it? So 20, anything between 20th and, you know, sort of 16th is probably where we'll finish. Um, I'm quite, I'm a realist and I'm very happy to just sort of go and say, as long as we stay up, I'm not bothered. Um, but yeah, in terms of where I think we'll finish, it'll be somewhere in that lower, lower second half of the table. Yeah, fair enough. Um, looking ahead to Saturday, uh, what do you think, what are you thinking a score prediction wise? Um, oh. I'd quite enjoy it if if you went three nil up, I think, and then we just then came back and destroyed you somehow. I think I I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that's happened before, but I can't think when. 1998. Um, excuse me. So um, yeah, no. I as long as you don't thrash us seven two or whatever it was the other year, I'll be happy. Um, I will. I will be very very cautious. I, I think we'll win. But I think that's because you do seem to be in some real difficulty. And you have been since Coughlin left. And I think that's the issue. I, I can't forgive me, I can't remember the name of your manager, but wasn't he promoted from within? No, Bengana was an external appointment. Oh, this okay. is his first managerial job. Apologies. Um I he's just not done it for you. Coughlin, where you were fourth when he left, weren't you? Mm-hmm. It was like you were, I remember you were, I, I was looking at it and going, because I was so annoyed. And it, it's not because I've got anything against Bristol Rovers whatsoever. It's just that I looked at it and went, you came up the same year as we did when we won the league. You and Oxford. Uh, and, and I was just like, how have you managed to, both of you, move on so well compared to what we've done? It, it, it was horrible to sort of see that. But... Was it was it uh, Harris, the lad that you've sold to Borough? Was he the one that was banging the goals in for the early part of last season? Someone was really on fire, weren't they? Yeah, Johnson Clark Harris. He was basically yeah. we were just Johnson Clark Harris FC. Just <laughs> our whole tactics under Graham. It was quite a lot of hoofball. It was just give it to Johnson and hope that he mm. bangs one in from miles off. So yeah, now he's gone. The goals are dried up, and it's yeah, it's it's become become a lot more difficult. Um, for me on Saturday, I'm gonna. Pred- I've we recorded last night, and I can't remember what I said for a score prediction. But <laughs> after after hearing, after speaking with you, I'm gonna go for a two-one win for Rovers. I think long ball potentially would suit us quite a lot better because we've got uh, Max Aimer. We signed him from Gillingham. Um, Alpha Kilgore at the back, and they're quite dominant centre backs. I think an, an aerial bombardment they're all right with. It's it's when we play more technical teams like the Donnies that we just get torn apart. So, I'd, yeah, I'm feeling confident. I mean, it sounds like it'd be a good game either way. Yeah, I, I do. I, to be fair, though, I think games between us tend to be quite good. I, I, I don't I don't remember any boring games against against you. But then again, do you ever remember a boring game? I don't know about that, actually. But, I mean, how you think about it, for, from both perspectives, there have always been good results for both sides. Um, 
you know, some of them get celebrated a bit more than others because they, I don't know, were in playoff semifinals or or whatever. But I mean, you know, in, in more recent times, I think I think probably the last time, well, no, it won't have been the last time we played, will it? Because we'll have played in League One afterwards. But you know, the opening day of the twenty fifteen sixteen season when John Joe just rose like a salmon in his pink away shirt and nodded into the back of the rows, and that that was that was quite sweet. Um, and that was a that that you know really kind of didn't really set us on our way to our our you know winning title winning season. But I mean, it was a good start. Um, and obviously, John Joe doing that against Rovers, he'll have been quite happy with. Um, yeah, getting <laughs> getting dogs abuse from the platform. The thing um, I think that upsets me about Saturday is that Chris Lines will be back at the Mem, and there'll be no fans there, and it that does upset me quite a bit. Um, we had the similar thing with Daryl Clark came came back with uh, Warsaw in the cup, and um, yeah, there was no fans there to kind of give him a give him a hero's welcome. Um, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for today. Uh, thank you, Charles, for coming on, um, and thank you, Gasheads, for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us. And subscribe to Gascast Podcast across all social media platforms. Uh, all that leaves me to say is up the gas. <laughs>